Come on, man. That was weak. How is everybody doing this afternoon? Yes, yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Guys, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I am Pastor Tony. I'm one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise International. Thank you so much for joining us, us this afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us. If this is your first time here, oh, I heard a little bit of an echo. This is your first time here. Uh, and uh, I just want to say thank you for... Uh, to you for making time to worship with us and uh, you guys are loved and we appreciate you guys so uh, why don't we all stand before we begin all right now before we begin each service we usually have someone to come up and give a testimony so I would like to call my brother Alex Pacheco yes please give a warm welcome as he comes up to share what the Lord has been doing in his life thank you brother thank you thank you it's great to see all you guys here today. My name is Alex, and uh, I'd like to share a quick testimony with you guys. So I'd like to start off by uh, sharing a, a verse from Matthew 21, verse 22, and it reads, And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So I think prayer and faith is such an important part in our walks with God. Amen. And... Um, one of my recent prayers has been for the Lord to just provide me with guidance and wisdom and uh, just patience to be a father that he's called me to be. So uh, just recently, uh, a couple weeks ago, I faced a situation where um, I was taking my boy to school in the morning and um, I, I usually give him, take him to school and uh, my wife gets him ready. So on our ride to school, he, since I wake up, he's just talking and talking and just has he's just full of energy just talking asking me all kinds of questions and um we get in line and he's ready to just socialize with his friends and i noticed that he's just being this quiet just shut down boy and um all his friends around him are talking but i, I noticed that he's not the same boy that he was when he woke up uh he's no longer talking and just being real antisocial. so then he goes inside and I'm driving home and I ask the Lord, I'm like, Father, I, I, don't, I don't like what I see in my son today. Um, just if there's any way I can help him just open up and be the, you know, the same person that he is at home in school, just, you know, tell me, show me. So the Lord spoke to me that morning and he just opened up my eyes and I just had a whole flashback of the way that that morning went. And I see that he was full of energy and if anything it was me that just shut him down because uh he was talking to me asking me questions i was being real short like just being a, a crab you know in the morning just waking up just being tired or whatnot and i seen how how much of an influence i have in his life uh being the father he looks up to me and just i want to I, I thank god for just showing me that that morning just showing how how our reaction to their ways of being just has such an influence to him so it goes back to the verse i just want to thank god for answering my prayer and i want to encourage all of you guys today to just have faith when you have prayer because he will answer your prayers amen so I, let's pray father god i thank you today father for for this service i thank you for bringing us here today father may we enjoy this service father and and worship you father and we thank you god in jesus name amen
we sing, he's coming on the clouds. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. Every chain will break. His broken hearts declare his praise. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is a lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains. And every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Every knee will bow before Him. Let's open up the gates. So open up the gates. We're ready for the King of Kings. A God who comes to save is here to set the captives free. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Sing it out. Our God is a lion, a lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains. Every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Every knee will bow before Him. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Yes, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Yeah, who can stop the Lord Almighty? No one. Yes, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Lift your voice. Who can stop the Lord?
that faith arise. In spite of what I see, Lord, I believe. But help my unbelief, I choose to trust you. No matter what I feel, let faith arise. Come on, can you help me sing it? Let faith arise. Let faith arise For my champion's not dead He is alive He already knows my every need Surely He will come and rescue me sing God of Come, we need your supernatural love to break through. Nothing's impossible. You're the God of miracles. Let faith arise and see the kingdom come. Thank 
us now, Lord. Hear us now, we lift our voice. Come, Lord. Lift it up in this place. You're worthy. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all peace. To you are all peace. You deserve. with just the voices, no instruments. You are worthy of it all. Come on, lift up your hands all across this room. He is worthy. 
time come on he's worthy of it all he is worthy of all of our life Hallelujah, Jesus. You deserve the glory in our lives, oh God. You deserve the glory in this city, through your church, God, in this land. I ask, oh Lord Jesus, that your light in us would shine bright. That as we give you glory, as you receive, God, all the worth that is due your name through our lives, oh God, I pray that you would be magnified, that you would be exalted. Come on, exalt his name today. In your own words, lift up the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We don't always need the band to push us forward as a body of Christ, as disciples of Jesus. When we come together this Sunday, you should be ready to worship your Savior. So let's lift up our voices just for a few moments here. In your own words, come on, tell Jesus who he is to you, what he means to you. Thank him. Praise him. We praise you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. You are awesome in this place. You are good, and what you do is good, oh God. We thank you for our help. We thank you, oh God, that you are with us on the mountaintop and in the valleys low. We thank you, oh God, that in you there is salvation, that in you there is healing. Come on, guys, keep pressing through. Tell him who he is. Some of you guys need to get through a breakthrough in your worship, learning how to worship Jesus in your own words. Come on, keep going, Jesus. You are so good. You are faithful, God. You are sovereign. You are sovereign, oh God. You rule and reign in justice. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne, oh God. We worship you in the beauty of your holiness. You are holy. You are holy. You are holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. Come on, he is worthy of it all. Jesus, you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of life surrendered to you. You are worthy, oh God, of this city to bow at her feet. You are worthy, Jesus, because from all things, you, you give us all things, oh God. Woo, we give you praise we give you praise we give you praise come on let's sing it out you are worthy of it all
Hallelujah, Jesus. You deserve the glory that is to your name. King of kings and Lord of lords. We give you your place, God, in our lives. You are our Lord. You are our master. And we bless your name today. We thank you for your presence in this place, O oh God. You are good and what you do is good. And we will stand on that word, Lord Jesus, and trust you. We will trust you, O oh God. We thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I want us to do something different because we're going to get into communion. I want you guys to all come up to the front and maybe make two rows so that the communion can be passed down. I just want us to be close and personal, take communion as a family this morning. So if you guys can line up, if we could all fit across in one row, that's fine, but I doubt it. So maybe just two lines so that the ushers can pass down the trays. At Metro Praise, we like to preach the gospel uh, every week. So before we partake of the communion, you guys can feel free to, you know, grab it as it comes down. We want to make sure that you guys have an opportunity to get right with God. Amen. So for those that may not know who I am, my name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders here. Welcome to Metro Praise International. We love the presence of God. We love going after Jesus in our worship time. And the first Sunday of every month, we take communion as a family. But I want to preach the gospel to you from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. It says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Somebody say grace. grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. The grace of God was poured out on humanity, was poured out on us because of Jesus Christ and his purpose and his grace before the beginning of time. And nothing that we've done has earned this grace. It's all because of the blood of Jesus, all because of what Jesus did for you on that cross. The grace of God is over you today. And some of you have accepted it. Some of you have rejected it. And this message is for those of you today who have rejected the grace of God. The Bible says that you cannot go to heaven unless you've been born again. And that means you've surrendered your life to Jesus. You've repented of your sins. You hold your hands up and say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my master. I want you to save me so that I can live a holy life. Because the Bible says, no unclean thing will enter the kingdom of heaven. And the only way that you are washed clean is through the blood of Jesus. White like snow. So with all eyes closed all across this room, I want to give you an opportunity to pray and get right with Jesus and say, God, I want you to save me. I want to live for you. Let today be your spiritual birthday. So as I begin to pray, I just want you to come into agreement. You'll have an opportunity to receive prayer in just a little bit. Lord, I thank you so much that we could preach the gospel in this country with freedom and boldness. I thank you, Jesus, that you are here today ready to save. You came to seek and save the lost. We were lost, oh God, and you came to save us. And I pray that those who have been rejecting you or have denied you, that today they would stop running, that they would surrender and say, I want to be born again. I need Jesus in my life. I want to have a relationship with God. Convict them of their sin. And I ask, oh God, as you knock on the door of their heart, that they would let you in, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, 
Amen. God is so good. I want to encourage you to come forward during the fellowship time when we play some loud music. We're going to have prayer workers up here at the front. I want to encourage you to come and ask them to pray with you and to find out how to get plugged into the church. Discipleship is huge. We want to disciple you. We want to get into your life. We want to show you how to live for God so that you know that you're not alone. Amen. Who's ready to take communion? Praise the Lord. Uh, good sir, can you open this for me? Thank you. If you guys can hold the wafer in your hand. The wafer represents the body of Christ. And we're going to pray and we're going to take it together as a family. Thank you, Josh. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you so much for your body that was beaten for us, that was whipped for us, that was nailed to the cross. Jesus, you did that because of our sin, because of our wickedness, our rebellion. On the cross, you died for our sins, our sicknesses, and our sorrows. And Jesus, we partake of this communion as a part of the body of Christ today to say thank you. We remember. We remember your sacrifice. We know, Lord God, that you died so that we could live. And we thank you for the eternal life that we have in you. In Jesus' name, let's partake of the wafer. Hallelujah. You can hold up your grape juice. This represents the blood of Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much for your blood that was shed for our sins. It's also by your stripes that we are healed. And we just thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for your blood that washes us clean, white like snow, and takes away our, our sins as far as the east is from the west. In Jesus' name, let's partake of the juice. Hallelujah. The trays are going to come back down. Let's worship out again to this song. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are worthy, oh God. We thank you for the cross. Think about the cross. Think about what Jesus has done in your life. Think about the season that you're in right now and how God is getting you through. Come on, he's worthy. And any season that we find ourselves in, he's worthy of our praise. Jesus. We give you our children, Lord. You are worthy. You are worthy of our obedience. Hallelujah, Jesus. You deserve the glory, oh God. Receive it. We love you, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. We bless your name. I pray, oh God, that signs, wonders, and miracles will follow the preaching of the gospel today. I pray that your word that will come forth would penetrate our hearts, oh God, and encourage us to be light in this dark world, to be the church, oh God, not just to come to church, but to be the church in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Woo! Praise the Lord. 
You guys can stay where you're at. Let's confess this together. This is our Christian worldview, our confession of faith. This is the lens in which we see the world around us. So on the count of three, let's recite it together. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. In the second coming of Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the... <laughs> Apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Come on, give it up for Jesus one more time. Give out some hugs, meet some people that you don't know, and come up for prayer if you need prayer. Our prayer workers will be right here.
Right. Who's excited to be hanging out today? Woo! Welcome to Metro Praise International, the 1 p.m. service. You guys are awesome. For all the first-time visitors, we're so thankful that you are, you're here. We didn't see that, Josh. We're going to pretend we did not see that happen. <laughs> Welcome to Metro Praise. Our services here are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service. So if you have children, infant to 11 years old, they could go in the back with our wonderful children's workers, teaching them about Jesus and getting into the Word. And then we have Elevate. Fridays at 7 p.m. for ages 11 to 18 years old. So if you're a teenager, that's where you want to be on Friday nights. It's here at 7 for the Elevate Youth Service. So if you have friends or know any of any neighbors or nieces, nephews, you want to bring them here. How many of you guys are excited for closing out the season of the soul-winning summer? This is our October outreach. So October 30th, the last Sunday of this month for 10 a.m. and 1 p.m., we're going to have the outreach of God's presence and his presence. See that? Spin on words there. God's presence and his presence is going to be a powerful service. Brandon will be with us. But what's going to be happening is while Joe's preaching, we're going to be have worship. And we're going to be having prayer in the midst of the messages. And just really just opening up the atmosphere for God to move in a mighty way with healing and deliverance. And just filling, you know, an infilling of the Holy Spirit. So come expecting, okay? Look to your neighbor, say, bring somebody. Look to your other neighbor, say, don't come alone. So we want to blow it up. This whole building fund of the soul winning summer, our goal has always been we want to see the lost saved. We want disciples to be made. So we're going to be closing it out with this service. Now, if you notice, Brandon was not here with us for the September outreach. So even though technically October was supposed to be our last month, Brandon will be giving us a little extra and visit, visiting us for November as a special uh, service there. So come expecting for that as well. But we thank you for all that you guys have done to make this happen. So keep, in, keep this service in prayer. Uh, a vision here at Metro Praise is loving God and loving people. The two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us. That we also have a strategy. Somebody say strategy. We want to connect you, mentor you, and send you out. And the way that we do that is we connect you through life groups, mentor you through the 101 and the 201 books. Then we send you out to do evangelism because we want you to keep preaching the gospel to the lost and dying world around you because it can't stop with you. It could start with you at that level, but then you got to keep carrying it on. And our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Who gets excited to hear that every Sunday? Woo! All right, so let's get connected. You have your handout. This is a new quarter of life groups already, guys. 2016 is almost gone. Can you believe that? So this is a schedule for October, November, and December. So take a look at the new life groups. Some of them are new. Some of them have just stayed the same. So find a place to get connected with you and your family if you haven't done so already. We're ready for our video. We have a video prepared for you for this new quarter. We want to introduce you to the, some of the leaders that we have that are leading these life groups and to really encourage you to come and end 2016 with a bang. Enjoy the video. What's up Metro Praise International? We're so excited about our new quarter of life groups for October, November, and December. I would encourage everybody to get connected with their family, join a life group. Let's close out 2016 with a bang. You know everybody likes to hibernate in Chicago winters, but don't let the winter get you down. Come out your house, have some fun, fellowship with us. We'll see you at life group. Hi everyone, I'm Pastor Bernard along with my wife Gisela. We want to invite everyone from the ages of 18 and over to our Bible study. It takes place every Friday at 7 p.m. Where we have a time of worship, word, and fellowship. 
We also have childcare provided, so come on out, check out our Facebook page. We can't wait to see you there. Hi everyone, we want to invite all the families to come out on Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. for Royal Ranger and Impact. It's our Boys and Girls Club for children who are newborn up to 11 years old. What's up everybody, my name is Lawrence, I'm one of the co-leaders of the Resistance Youth Life Group. We meet up uh, every first and third Tuesday right here at the church at 6 p.m. We have an awesome time of going into God's word, worship, all that great stuff. So we want to see you there. It's lit. You have to be there. Show up. Awesome. Hey, everyone. I'm Yuli here. This is my wife, Ashley. We welcome ages 11 to 18 to the Ambassador's Life Group every first and third Saturday here at the church. Come join us for a great time of fellowship, a good word, and just a great time for you to learn about Jesus. Come on out. Hi, my name is Lauren Sienski. This is Cynthia Rodan, and we are the leaders of the Single Moms Life Group. We meet twice a month on Sundays at 5.30 here at the church. We hope to see you there. Check us out on Facebook. Child care is always provided. Hey, everyone. My name is Ricky. This is my wife, Rachel, and we lead the Marriage Life Group once a month here at the church at 5 p.m. And this next quarter, we're going to talk about practical ways to keep your marriage healthy. We're going to close out the year with a romantical Christmas party. You don't want to miss it. Come bring your kids. It's going to be a good time. Hey, what's up, everybody? Rudy Salt here with the Evangelism Life Group. We meet every Saturday at 5 o'clock. We want you to come out and join us and share your faith. We're fulfilling the Great Commission, so we want to see you there. What's up, everyone? I'm Yuli. I want to invite everyone from ages 18 and up to join me at Gang Outreach. We meet here at the church weekly on Thursdays at 7 p.m. Join me for a great time to reach souls out of these streets that will change your life and it changes people's lives, too. What's up, Metro Praise? We are pastors Tony and Jerry Vivid. Come join us Friday nights at 7 p.m. at our house for Bible study. Yeah, this quarter we have something really special. We're doing a men and women study, so join us on Fridays. See you then. Hi, I'm Ashley and this is Lawrence and we lead Encounter Night Life Group. We meet every last week of the month here at the church at 7 p.m. We're excited to announce for this next quarter we're going to be having an extended time of worship. We're going to be going deep in God's presence. We encourage you all to come out experience God in a new way. All right, give it up for all the life group leaders. Woohoo! We're so thankful for them and we know that you guys appreciate them in your lives. So if you look up at the screen, this is the schedule for this week. Just a little snapshot of life groups kicking it off on Tuesday. It's the Resistance Life Group. 6 p.m. meeting here at the church. That's our youth one. Wednesday, we have King's Kids here, infant to 11 years old, 6.30 at the church. Thursdays are gang outreach, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. They meet here at the church, hit the streets, preach the gospel, literally looking for the gangbangers around this community. I mean, they're doing it. So join them if you have a passion for that, which we all should have a passion because it's preaching the lost, uh, preaching the gospel to the lost. And Chicago is the answer for our city. Amen. And then Friday, we have the, the, the two adult Bible studies, one at the Govea's house. The other one is at the Vivid's house, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. If you're 18 and up, you want to be at these life groups. Get connected throughout the week. Get encouraged uh, with other brothers and sisters in the Lord. And just refresh yourself in the word of God, right? Then we want to mentor you. Look to your neighbor say, get mentored. We have leaders ready to take you through the 101 book called Welcome to Your New Life. They'll encourage you in your walk with the Lord. When you graduate the 101, you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples, where we train you basically to be a leader in the church because we believe that every believer could and should be a leader. So you will be ordained as a deacon and elder one day to accomplish God's purpose for your life. Then we want to send you out. Somebody say send. We want to send you out to do evangelism, to keep preaching the gospel on the streets. Saturdays from 5 to 8, they meet here, they hit the streets, and they're just 
street witnessing to complete strangers and you'll be so amazed at how God uses you to meet the needs of other people through preaching the gospel. It is the good news that Jesus saves and it's our responsibility to go and tell them. Jesus said, all authority and power has been given to me, therefore go. Somebody say go. Bible says, therefore, go into all the earth and make disciples. And that's what we do here, evangelism and discipleship. So to recap, MPI has a vision, a strategy, and a goal. A vision of loving God and loving people. Strategy to connect, mentor, and to send you out. And a goal by doing all that to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Can I get a hallelujah? Woo! God is good. Who's ready to give their tithes and offerings today? Another extension of our worship. Uh, the, we believe at MPI that a tithe is 10% of your total income given regularly to the church. We believe the scripture teaches that. And then an offering is an amount above the tithe, after the tithe, that is between you and the Lord. That he just requires for us to give it with a cheerful heart. And we designate that towards missions and towards building. So we're going get in to uh, get into the lesson today. You can find this lesson. There's a link on the Metro Praise Facebook page. We're on lesson 12. Stewards should be debt-free. Who wants to be debt-free? Come on. Some of you guys are young enough to not get yourself into debt, which is good. So use wisdom to not, you know, do it the wrong way. But for those of us who may have kind of made some mistakes, it's never too late to start putting in those principles and those, you know, wisdom tips to get out of it and do it right and honor Lord with, the, with your finances. The definition of stewardship is the wise management of everything God has entrusted us with. We're going to be reading from Romans 13, 8. You can see it up on the screen. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So basically what this is saying is we shouldn't have debt. The only debt we should have is to keep loving each other. Because you can never outlove people, right? So let's keep loving through our giving. So let's read a little bit more about what those uh, verse is in those three points. Number one. No debt remain outstanding. Though there are times when Christians may get loans for cars, houses, and their businesses, which is considered a good debt, they should always pay the debt on time and set the goal to pay it off completely. So let's be responsible, right? Number two, no debt. Ideally, the Christian should pay off all their credit card debt monthly and live interest-free because their income and savings provides for everything that they need. Otherwise, they may become a slave to the lender, which is considered bad debt. Proverbs 22, 7. We don't want to be a slave to anybody. We belong to the Lord. So don't become a slave to your lender. Be responsible. Pay off things every month so that you don't get ensnared in all that interest. And then you're paying things for nothing. You're, paying, you're basically throwing money away. And so God wants us to be wise stewards of every single penny that we have. And number three, always pay the debt of love. Instead of just focusing on paying back debt every month, stewards should aim to be debt-free and able to focus on paying the debt of love to their fellow man. Imagine how much charitable work God's people could do just off of the interest they would save living debt-free. That's powerful. I read that first service. I was like, whoa, all that money we give towards interest, we could be giving towards charitable giving and really helping show the love of Christ by meeting people's needs in a big, huge way. So here's a summary. Avoid bad debt and pay off good debt in a responsible way. 
And number, uh, there are three ways you could apply this lesson to your life. Number one, be faithful giving your tithe, which is 10% of your total income, and your offerings, anything you give after the tithe. Be wise, number two, be wise in how you acquire debt for things, such as your house, your car, and your business. And then number three, avoid bad debt in the form of high-interest credit cards so you can live a generous life of love. That will allow us to help, to help us be generous, right? Let's confess this over our life on the count of three as I bust my tooth with this microphone. One, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts you have received from him. We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. Let's stand up to our feet this afternoon as we prepare to give the Lord our tithes and offerings. Thank you so much for partnering with us. You guys make all that we do at MPI happen day in and day out. So again, a tithe is 10% of our total income. We give that faithfully to the Lord. We designate our offering towards missions or towards building. And here are four ways that you could give at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering time. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. And number four, you can use Chase QuickPay, PayPal, or BillPay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. And here's our announcement, guys. You did it. We did it. Give yourselves a hand clap. Come on. We're giving it up for Jesus. Soul-winning summer. It's over. We have raised a total of $10,298. And just in the month of September alone, 3137 in one month. So if you guys noticed, what was our ultimate goal? 8000 So look how much we went over. And just so that you know, all the extra money we spent, God provided because there, we did go over budget. We did not budget, you know, the laptops that we gave away and all those gift cards that we were giving away because our creativity kept growing month to month as those outreaches came. But God provided. We went over. God kept meeting the need and provided everything because of your generosity. So we thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God is amazing. Let's keep praying for all the lives that have been touched, all the visitors that have came. We want them to keep on coming back. We have this last month left. But the, the monies have been raised. We're looking forward to the October 30th, 30th service. Uh, Brandon will be with us. And now going forward for the rest of the 2016 year, anything that gets given towards the building fund will just go straight into the general fund to pay for day-to-day -day expenses. But we really want to encourage you guys to up the ante a little bit towards the missions because that has been a little bit low the past two, three months. So anything now that we can focus our attention uh, for the rest of the year, let's put towards missions. And like I said, anything that gets given towards the building will go into the general fund. And when you give to missions, just so that you know, it doesn't always just go to outside MPI ministries that we are supporting. We are also able to help people in Chicago, people in our own church with groceries and some rent money or you know, whatever the need may be, a bus ticket. So all the all the monies that go towards the missions uh, is a good Samaritan account. So we just really want to be able to be a blessing to the people in our own community, right? All right, so let's read this together. Philippians 4, 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness, oh God. And we thank you, God, for meeting our needs according to your glorious riches. We thank you, oh Lord, that we were able to give above and beyond, God, what we expected this soul-winning summer to be. And we just thank you for the lives that were touched and changed and transformed and the gospel that was preached that everybody heard your message. I pray that right now you will continue to do a work in their lives. Uh, bless the gift and the giver right now as we continue to be faithful in our tithe, faithful in our offering. And I just thank you so much, Lord, for meeting our needs being faithful to us as we remain faithful to you lord you are such a good god i pray that you multiply and increase this offering so that we can win chicago for you and all the ends of the earth in jesus name and everybody said amen please come forward as you give and we thank you so much for your generosity All right, how many ready to learn about the church? Make some noise. Come on, you guys ready? You guys excited? All right, I'll give you a little air high fives right there, little air high fives. Open up your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So good to see everybody here for the second service. Last week we had a great time with the youth. Appreciate you guys showing up and supporting them. And then today what we want to do is end out our sermon series that we had for the whole summer and if I sound a little congested, it's because I am. I don't know, did anybody else get the sniffly whifflies after the weather change? Anybody, a few of us? And um, man, my voice is trying to hold up here today, and my kids had to dealt with it a little bit. But I'm going to get out and ride my bike today if it doesn't rain, because I'm going to get as much as I can out of this weather this week. How many are looking forward to some sunshine? I think it's supposed to come out, right? Okay, so I'm going to try to get some of that sunshine weather. And just want to thank you guys again for your gifts to the building fund. That is awesome, just above and beyond. Uh, our church has always been a generous church, always more than enough. And what was happening is we had scheduled to have Brandon in for those services for the um, the summer, the soul winning summer, and that was just a thousand dollars a month right there for six times. So that's six thousand. So we only left about two thousand dollars in the budget just to do all the other outreaches. Well, I'll tell you what. Just the back-to-school bash alone, with all those laptops that we gave away, that was almost like $3,000 right there. So that, that budget just got, 
just blowed up. So then I just said, Jesus, we'll take this out of savings. We'll take it out of our normal budget, whatever. But then, you know what? Last month, I just uh, told the leadership. I was just like, you know what? Just pray so that we don't have to touch the savings because it's always good to have savings in the bank. How many like to have that, you know? And then the Lord just blessed through you guys. So thank you. Thank you for your generosity. It's because of you that we do what we do. And we never have to beg for money, never have to make it a harsh thing. Uh, so I, I'm just thankful. One of the things that we talked to um, one of our members' dads about is building out that shed there in the back. And we'll probably get into that next year for the springtime, you know, because you can't really build it in the winter. That's probably something you guys can look forward to as a building project. And then because Soul Winning Summer had so much, like, just great turnout, great uh, just everything, we'll probably do that next summer. Just something to look forward to, to always say, like, hey, let's do back-to-school parties. Let's do Boricua Fest. Let's do all of these things for the community, give out all these things. Like, just for for example, last week we gave out, you know, these gift cards to the parents, uh, gift cards to the teenagers. I think we spent almost uh, three, four hundred dollars just giving out gift cards to the teenagers. And last week, actually, we set a record for September. We had 330 people. Let's give it up for you guys. Amen. You guys showed up large and in charge. And now what do these empty seats say to us? These empty seats today say to us there's a challenge to go out and fill them. Amen. So we had a one time filling. But now let's fill them regularly, weekly. There is room for you to bring your friends. All right, today is church involvement, the last in our series of spiritual disciplines. If you're new, I'm going to go over some of that. But let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and onward. If you don't have a Bible, you can get one on your phone at the Bible app. It's just literally Bible app. Or open up your Bibles because I want you to start learning how to work that word. This is probably the 13th time you're going to hear this. And now it will be the last time until you read it on your own. So I have said this scripture many, many times. I almost have it memorized because we did it the whole entire summer. And let me just say this. Before we get into this, here's the homework assignment for next week. We're starting a new sermon series on the book of John, okay? So everybody next week, read the first chapter of John. And let me just tell you as a pastor what this feels like. Uh, every time I go into a sermon series, I'm like, I just want to talk about it. I just want to talk about it towards the end of the sermon series and I'm like I'm done talking about it I want to talk about something else and so that's where I'm at right now and I cannot tell you just how excited I am to read the book of John with you to share with you just starting there in verse one in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was with God in the beginning all things were made through him without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Those five verses get me on fire every time. Does that get you guys excited? So next week, we're going to start with John, and literally the message as of right now, unless the Lord changes it, is going to be in the beginning. It's just going to be in the beginning. Oh, I love that. That just gets me excited. But today, this is our last time, and I'm still excited about this message. Trust me, you're going to see my passion come out because it's about the church, last but not least. So just read John uh, chapter 1 next week for homework, and you'll be ready for the message. If you're with me in 1 Corinthians 9, somebody say, I'm there. Awesome. Here we go. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize, run in such a way as to get the 
prize. Thank you. Everyone who competes in the games goes into what? Strict training. Now, that's where we get the sermon series from, spiritual disciplines. We're on number 12, church involvement today. And I could have called it spiritual training, spiritual training. But I chose that word discipline to really help you understand there's going to be an effort that you're going to make. There's going to be some spiritual sweat. There's going to be things that you got to sacrifice to make this happen. And once again, I am just like an outdoorsy guy. Literally, my wife will tell you, I probably did not miss one day outside this summer. One day. So if it was not raining, I was outside doing something, either a prayer walk or my bike riding. And this week when that rain came and I realized I had to go back into the gym, it was like a little sniffle, even a real sniffle like from the cold because I slept with my window open and I was like, this feels so good. And then in the morning it didn't feel so good. So anyways, with sniffles for many different reasons, I was like, I have to go in a gym now. And it's just not the same. If I'm going to do training, I like to do it outdoors. And where I ride my bike and walk, you know where I just, yesterday I went and it was like like misty raining. It was all over my glasses and, and, and like got wet. But you know what I saw? I saw deer. I saw rabbits chipmunks and squirrels and there was this one part where it was really epic where they kind of come in and duck out of this trail thing so there was a part where he couldn't just the deer just couldn't go right into the uh the, the thing he had to run alongside of me literally i am riding my bike and here is this galloping deer right next to me and then a few little miles down you know what i saw galloping next to me a little rabbit just galloping next to me. And then every now and then I see snakes. I see snakes and I just run over them. No, I'm kidding. But every now and then I see a little snake slithering across. And I say all of that to say physical training is what these athletes had to do. If they wanted to win the race, they got to train. And Paul is saying everyone who goes into games goes into strict training. They pay a price for it. They're disciplined. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last for how long? forever. So this is the comparison. I need to be in spiritual shape so I get the crown of eternal life, just like they go into physical training to get in physical shape to win an earthly crown. Now look at the application. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to whose body? Do I strike a blow to my neighbor's body? No, my body, and I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself may not be disqualified for the prize. There it is. How many of you think when you read this passage in the future, you'll know what it means? That is my job as a pastor. Think about that. My job as a pastor is to expound the word of God to you. No, you know, stories can be cool, but it doesn't matter about how many cool stories I tell you. It's whether or not you understand this passage. If I did my job these last 12, 13 sermons, I have really given you the understanding of spiritual training. What I then did is I went through the Bible to look at spiritual training. So if you guys all want to know how I got these, uh, how I got this chart, I got this chart because I said, what does spiritual training look like in the Bible. What does spiritual training look like in the Bible? Now, before we get to that, I want to show you the definition. Spiritual disciplines are the commands and practices a disciple show in their life to grow spiritually because they know God. Everybody say, show, grow, and know. Thank you. You guys have heard that many times. And here are the 12 things I listed out. Now, if you believe in them, think they're cool, say amen. Bible reading, family order, scripture memorization, soul journaling, praying, worshiping, 
And let me just tell you about this, God's presence and his presence, that is going to be so awesome. The Lord gave this to me on a prayer walk because I just think about, you know, oftentimes when I'm preaching up here, I just go on and on and on and on. I talk about the Bible and all these things. And then we end with that great crescendo at the end. It's like, dun, 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 come to Jesus, pray with us. And I love that because that, I mean, that's how we learn the Bible. I think we should give to studying of God's word more than we do to college, education, all those things. Those are great, but this is the foundation. But then I was thinking to myself, what would I really like to do that would be special? Well, when I'm preaching and I hit on something, I would just want to stop and be like, let's respond to that right now. Let's respond. Because so often when I start preaching, I get excited. I'm sweating. You guys are amen We're clapping. It's like, okay, what do we do next? Well, we just go to the next point. But what if we just stopped and go, okay, that's for me. I'm going to come and get me some. So take, for example, that, that day, Brandon and the worship band is going to stay up here and say for like the first couple minutes, we read some scriptures about healing and talk about Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals and how amazing he is. And on, on the cross, by his stripes, we are healed healed and he did this for us and you're going to get excited and you're going to want to clap your hands and we're going to go if you want to pray right now to come and receive healing come up and we're going to worship we're going to magnify Jesus why are we going to do that because the Bible says when I am lifted up I'll draw them into me and he also said the father is looking for worshipers those who worship in spirit and in truth so as the old saying goes it's true when the praises go up the blessings come down so we're going to come worship them and bam, lay hands on you. And then I specifically put in there mental peace, mental well-being. Those of you depressed, dealing with anxiety, maybe suicidal thoughts or fear, whatever. we're going to talk about you, God is not giving you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Boom, come on up. Worship Jesus, who the sun sets free is free indeed. Who the sun sets free. And then we're going to start laying hands on you, and you're going to be like, I'm free. And then like the dudes are going to be like, freedom, like Braveheart. Anybody going to be like that? Come on. And then we're going to talk about marriages, and God's going to bring you together, and, and you guys are never going to uh, be torn apart. And, and, and you're going to be like, baby, I know this is for us. Let's go. Let's go. And then we're going to call you up to the front, and it's just going to be amazing. That's why we pray and worship, pray and worship. So I want you to prepare yourself and praying and worshiping for that special Sunday. Disciple in Christ's likeness. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Doing all things unto God, Christian service, public evangelism. I go right now on Mondays. This is a unique time, and I know i got a lot of young adults here, some third shifters work uh, third shift, and you guys come to the second service. Let me tell you, I go to Wright College now, 1.30 to 2.30 p.m. every Monday. It is off the chain. It is amazing. I feel like I'm young again. I'm out there with all those cool college kids. I wear my Chicago for Jesus shirt. I mean, I'm just loving it. It is amazing. If you are working the third shift or have that time available, hit me up on Facebook, and I'll add you to our page. And I'm to tell you what, you're going to start seeing people saved from there because I'm already seeing people pray with me from there. And I want to encourage you if you can't do it with me on Monday, do it on Wednesdays with the King's Kids before they uh, have their program. Meet them here. If you can't do it on Wednesdays, do it on Fridays before the life groups or before the youth group. If you can't do it on that day, do it on Saturday with the evangelism team that will train you up and have you go out. We have 10 opportunities. Everybody say 10 times. 10 times for you to go out and preach the gospel. Everybody say spiritual meditation. Amen. Financial stewardship. Christian fellowship. And last but not least, if you love the church, somebody say amen. 
Thank you. Now look at it here in the chart. This is our last time looking at this beastly chart. Now I'm telling you, like, I as a pastor, I've gotten sick of looking at this thing too, but I'm going to tell you what, if you can get this, you'll never be the same again. Watch. We are saved by what we know. When we are then saved, we then show. When we are saved and know and show, we then grow. Does everybody get that? You have got to understand something. In my doctoral studies, this set the bar. I'm not even trying to be false humble with you right now. I'm going to tell it as a TIS. This is a beast even in seminary. Those who study their whole life to know spiritual growth have looked at this chart and go, Pastor Joe, this is awesome. You have simplified this for us. Pastors have told me this. People want to use this, so I'm not trying to get you guys to talk about how awesome I am. I just want you to get it. This was sent to me from the Lord. The angel Gabriel whispered this in my ear. No, I'm kidding. But I'm just telling you, this is an awesome way to understand the rest of your Christian life. Not just when the series is over. Your entire Christian life, here it is, on this board. That's it. You may say that looks a little boring, but I'm telling you, this is awesome. This is it. It does not get any better than this. This contains it all. Let me share with you once again. Knowing God is how we are saved. If you believe Jesus is God and Savior, say amen. Do you believe that you can be born again by the grace of Jesus? Say amen. And do you believe that all born-again people can keep the commands of God? Say amen. Thank you. That's the gospel. That's what it means to be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. Romans chapter 10. John chapter 3 then says, whoever is born again is born of the Spirit. This is the new life. And then the Bible says that you can do all that Jesus commanded to do. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. When you summarize the gospel, what Jesus was telling people, he was saying, believe in who I am, believe in who I say you are, and believe you can do what I said you can do do you believe Jesus is who he said he is do you believe you are who he said you are do you believe you can do what he said you can do there it is now when you look at the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation and literally if you want to blow your mind and just go home today and read six chapters or say nine chapters of the Bible you can understand the entire Bible in nine chapters you want to know how you do it read the first three chapters of the book of Genesis Read the first three chapters of the book of John, and then read the last three chapters of the book of Revelation. You'll get the entire Bible right there. In the beginning, we were creating God's image. We sinned and fell. That's Genesis chapter 3. John chapters 1 through 3 talks about Jesus coming in the image of man coming to be like us to die on the cross so that we could be born again John 3 16 right there right then you read the last three chapters of the book of Revelation talks about God judging the world two categories sinners saints and then we spend the rest of our lives as saints with Jesus Christ boom there it is so now if you want to know from Genesis to Revelation what are you expected to do 66 books in the Bible 39 of the Old Testament, 27 of the New Testament. What does a Christian, a Christ-like person do? Someone who is born again. You were born naughty by nature, but born again because of Jesus in divine nature. Born a sinner because of your mama and dada. And born again a saint because of the Holy Ghost through Jesus Christ and our Father. Amen? What do you do? These 12 things. The entire Christian life is summarized in those things. And when you do those things, you will grow. Everybody say, I got to grow. Amen. Why do you have to grow? Because when you grow up, you can go up to a whole nother level. If you don't grow up and you try to go up, you're going to make Jesus throw up. 
Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, that he's going to spit people out of his mouth and cast them into hell because they didn't live the kind of life he's asked them to live. And so what God wants you to do is be saved, be made who he's called you to be. Salvation is an instantaneous process. You are not saved because of these things you do. You're not saved because of spiritual disciplines. You are saved because of your faith in Jesus Christ. But then after being saved, salvation is complete and finished. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. That's why you do these 12 things. And as you're doing them, you're growing up in your salvation. You are growing up in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and all of these other things. You're growing in goodness, growing in self-control. How many would like to have some more perseverance in their life? Godliness, mutual affection, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, gentleness. Where do these things come from? They come from the Holy Spirit in our lives as we're being obedient to Christ. Think of it like this. Is there any way you'll ever be good according to what God said if you don't read his word or follow his commands? Is there any way you're going to do it? Is there any way you can have true mutual affection and love if you don't have your family in order? Is there any way that you're ever going to have self-control and peace of mind if you don't memorize scripture? How else will you have peace of mind if you don't hide the word of God in your heart? He commanded you to do that. How are you going to have kindness and gentleness if you don't do Christian service and public, public evangelism? These are the way we are transformed. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 to be renewed in your mind and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transform there is metamorphosis. So where does the transformation of growth happen? It happens in our behavior and in our mind. When I start acting and thinking differently, I am transformed. And that's what we learned here is about transformation. You go from being a caterpillar to a what? A butterfly. How many want to be butterflies? You don't want to be a caterpillar, right? You don't want to be a little nasty caterpillar. You want to be an awesome butterfly. Now, let's go in today's message last, but certainly not least. We are going to talk about the church. Everybody say church involvement. Amen. It's a spiritual discipline, something that you have to do. Thank you for being here today. And I'm going to share with you some awesome things today, some of the things you probably have never even heard before. I'm going to be honest. I didn't hear of them until even this week because they are so amazing. Sex is going to be brought up. And just remember I told you, you have never heard this about sex before. I'm promising you. Most of you have never heard it, and it's going to come up. Okay. Now that I got your attention, let's talk about church here. The Bible uses the strongest and most intimate language when describing the church. In one place, the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, and Jesus even said the church was his mother, brothers, and sisters. Now, I want you to think about that. Is this something we should take seriously then? Okay, have you ever heard anybody say, I love Jesus, but I don't like church? Or, I've, you know, I got Jesus to myself. I don't really need to go to church. You cannot do that and be based in the Bible. Jesus considers the church the most intimate uh, he describes the church with the most intimate language you possibly could. For those of us who are married here, could you imagine if someone came to your house and said, yeah, Joe, I want to hang out with you, but I hate your wife and never want to see her. Do you think that would be a good friend of mine? Of course not. Do you think if I went out with somebody and they go, hey, dude, I like your face, but I hate your body, so I'm going to slap your body until you get bruises all over. you think that would be a good person to hang out with? And you think it would be cool if someone came up to you and said, hey, I like you, but I hate your mom, I hate your brothers, I hate your family. 
And, then, and I'm talking about you got a good family. How many want to love their family, right? Some of you are like, well, I'll agree with them. No, don't have that attitude. How, how many think it's good to love your family? So if you come to me and I love my family and you go, Joe, I love you, but I hate your mother, I hate your brother, I hate your sister. We're not hanging out. But people say this all the time about the church. They say it all the time. Oh, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. I just want to hang out with Jesus, but I don't like the church. I like the head of the body, which Jesus says he is the head of the body, and the body is the church. But I don't like the arm, and I'll slap the arm. I'll make fun of the arm. I'll, I'll, I'll ridicule the arm on Facebook, right, because the arm is, is the extension of Jesus. And what we need to understand is that these terminologies say to us loud and clear, Jesus is telling you, don't mess with the church. That's what he's telling you. Don't mess with the church. Now, you've been here at this church, and you've heard me expose probably every possible sin that's been in the church, right? You have heard me talk about pastors who have lied and stolen and having sex like they shouldn't be, and I've called that sin. But if you've noticed, I've never put down the church. I've put down what people have done in the church, but I've never put down the church. There's a difference. We can correct and make, make it right and, and take care of family business, but what we don't do is ridicule what Jesus says he loves. And so what Jesus loves is the church. Jesus loves what we're doing here right now. This is important to Jesus. And so you need to respect what you're doing here just like you would respect someone else's wife or you would want them to respect your wife. You, you need to respect what we're doing here just like you would want someone to respect your body. And you want to respect what we are doing here just like you would want someone to respect your mother, your brother, and your sisters. Can I get an Amen. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, verse 50, because I want to show you that scripture about Jesus and his mother and brothers. You know, a lot of us uh, have family that comes from a Roman Catholic background, and I'm going to be talking to you about why the Roman Catholic Church doesn't represent the church of Jesus Christ. They claim that it does, but it actually doesn't. I'll give you facts, and I'll help you understand that. But before we do, what we have to understand is because my grandparents were Catholic, my dad was raised Catholic, is that they kind of have this understanding that when it comes to Jesus' mother, Mary, she gets top priority. It's like, you don't mess with mother of Guadalupe. Don't you mess with Maria. Don't mess with Mary, right? And this is all cultures. This is not just Latinos. This is Anglo. You know, my Polish family loved Mary, Latinos. This is everybody, right? Loves are all the different places where Roman Catholicism has influenced people's minds. They get to think about, uh, they, they get, they, this is idolatry, this real high view of, uh, of Mary, which I don't think is biblical, and I'll tell you why. But it's going to be important to understand why Jesus told us this too, because he wasn't putting down Mary. He was just putting Mary in the proper place. Let's look at this, Matthew 12, 47. Someone told him, talking about Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside standing wanting to speak with you. And you can kind of just imagine what's going on here. Jesus is busy. He's out doing ministry. And all of a sudden, his mother's like, where is Jesus? Why is Jesus not around the house anymore? Hey, brothers or sons, go get your brother. Go get your brother. I need Jesus here. I need something fixed, right? And you can kind of see Mary getting the brothers and go looking for Jesus and all of a sudden they find Jesus is preaching and there's a crowd around them and now you can kind of get what they would do and I've even had this happen in my church with my in-laws and my, my parents it's like you go get my son you go get my son you go get Jesus tell him his mother's out here his brother's right we need to talk to him this is what's going on someone came to tell Jesus your mother and brothers are outside they want to speak to you now look what Jesus says who is my mother? 
who are my brothers, pointing to his disciples. He says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. You are just as important as the Virgin Mary. You are just as important as the disciples. Peter, Paul, James, Matthew, Bartholomew, you are just as important as every single one of them. Did they have important roles to do that you and I can never do? Yes, I can never give birth to the Savior. Praise God, men can't do that, right? But but she did her role, but I have my role to do. I, I won't write the Bible. Peter did, Paul did, but that was their role. I'm going to do my role. But in the standing of Jesus and his family, does Mary get put on a pedestal? No, the woman who sits and listens to Jesus is just as considered to be his mother as the very woman who birthed her. The same thing with the brother. The same thing with the sister. Now, sometimes we think about this and we go, oh, I don't know about that. That doesn't sound fair. That sounds like maybe Jesus was not respecting his mother. No, Jesus was teaching us a principle. In Luke, the Bible says that unless you hate your mother, father, and brother, you cannot be my disciple. How many want to hear this happy scripture today? Anybody want to hear this? Just to tie it all together. Luke to, look to Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus explains that you, the trouble you can get into by putting family above the family of God. Now, is it good to have both? Your natural family and the church family, absolutely. I want both. I want my wife in my life. I want my children in my life. I want my mom and dad in my life. But if I have to choose... God or mom and dad, who comes first? God. If I have to choose God or brothers or sisters, who comes first? If I have to choose God or my children, who comes first? God. And then from there, I can be the best husband, the best uh, uh, mother, not mother, father. I can be the best pastor. I can do all these things, but God comes first. Look at Jesus right here. Look at Jesus. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not what? Hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even their yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. Do we see the seriousness of this? This is what God is teaching us: is that if your mother tries to take away the teaching of the Christian mother, you put the Christian mother first. Come on. If your Christian brother is at odds, or your natural brother is at odds with your Christian brother's teachings. You listen to your Christian brother. Now, I say this with all respect to our young people here. You don't go home and say, God told me to hate you, mom and dad, and now I'm going to go live on my own, and these boots were made for walking, and that's just what they're going to do. No, what you do is you go home, young people, and you let your mom and dad know by your obedience... And by your good work in school, that you are a true Christian is going to, and going to live for Jesus. Because they'll see that louder and, and hear that message louder than you just telling them they're wrong. But if they are not serving God this way, you can be a great influence by loving them, obeying them, doing good in school. And I guarantee you they'll see a miracle and be like, wow, you clean your room. What did God do in your life? You're actually getting good grades right now. I want to see the church you're going to. And then you then you can share with them the same truth that has transformed your life. Now, some of you may say, Pastor, that's awfully harsh. Well, it even gets even a little bit worse than that. It actually does. The Bible says that some of your own enemies will come from your own house, that your enemies will come from your house. And some of you are like, I don't even have to be a Christian to know that. Some of my enemies are in my house right now. Uh, but let me tell you why this happens as a Christian. Matthew chapter 10 
verse 36, look at what Jesus said here. Matthew chapter 10, verse 36, Jesus, uh, starting verse 34, Jesus said, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword because I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother. Do you guys ever see these memes on Facebook? I don't usually see these verses on, as memes. I usually see like, God has a plan and a hope for you. He loves you. Smiling, Jesus handing you a rose. Why doesn't somebody make a meme of this, right? I, I have come to turn you against your father and your mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And some of the daughter-in-laws are like, amen. Yes. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And then he continues on to say the same thing as he did before, but in a different way. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So now we get this understanding of what hate means from Luke. The idea is, is that any time there is a choice to choose, you always go with God. And if they don't want to follow God, you follow him anyway. Has this happened in, in, in the real world? Have people's enemies actually come from their home? Yeah. Even here in Chicago, people that I know have chosen to follow God, some of them have been disowned or not treated right, have not been invited to public uh, family functions anymore. And this also is happening right now around the world in a very severe way. Some of you have heard of honor killings in Muslim households, but it's not only in Muslim households, also in Hindu households. If you convert to Christianity in the home, the brother will kill the sister. They will kill the convert. They will set them on fire in India. We have understanding and knowledge of this. And just like we saw in the time of Nazi Germany, when they were raising up the children in the Nazi schools, they would tell the children, report your parents if they're a part of illegal activity. And part of that illegal activity was being a part of a Protestant church like this one right here. Isn't that sad that people have had to choose between their mother, father, and brother and serving Jesus? The man who wrote the song, I have decided to follow Jesus, was a man from India who decided to follow Jesus and was disowned by his entire family. And he wrote that song that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Here's his name right here. Sadhu Sundar Singh was an Indian Christian missionary. He died somewhere in the Himalayas. He was a missionary that gave it all up for Jesus. He was born into a Sikh family in the village of Rumpar, Catania, and Ladahina, Punjab state in northern India, into Sikhism. Sundar's mother took him to sit at the feet of a Sandhu, an aesthetic holy man who lived in the jungle some miles away, while also sending him to a Christian school. The death of Sundar's mother when he was 14 pitched him into violence and despair. He took out his anger on the missionaries, persecuted Christian converts, and ridiculed their faith. In the defi final defiance of the religion, he bought a Bible and burned it page by page in his home while his friends watched. Do you know that I also did something similar to this? At one point, I don't even think my wife knows this, one point in my high stage of rebellion, I actually ripped up my Bible in front of my parents. 
I was on drugs, selling drugs, actually ripped up my Bible in front of my parents. Sundar felt that his religious pursuits and Sikhism and the question of Christian Hindu priests left him without ultimate meaning. Sundar resolved to kill himself by throwing himself upon a railroad track. He asked that whoever is the true God would appear before him or else he would kill himself. That very night he had a vision of Jesus who opened Sundar's soul to the truth. This sounds more exciting than watching Avengers, doesn't it? I mean, this is real Christianity here, right? Our, our young people get bored by Christianity. Here's a man about ready to kill himself saying, God, show, himself, show yourself to me, and he did. He sees a vision of Jesus who opened Sundar's soul to the truth. Sundar announced to his father that henceforth he would follow Christ. His father denounced him. Do you see that? Let me just put it here uh, a little bit better here. His father did what? Denounced him. And his brother Ranjendar Singh attempted to do what? Poison him. It's the truth, isn't it? He was not just poisoned once, but a number of times. People of that area threw snakes in his house. People used to possess his house, but his life was saved by the help of a Christian community. On his 16th birthday, he was publicly baptized as a Christian in the parish church in this uh, Simla in the Himalayan foothills. Prior to this, he had been staying in the Christian leprosy home. He ran away to a leprosy home, and he served the leprosy patients there. Towards the end of his life, or, to, or towards this part of his life, he began to write that song that we now know today, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. I was going to see if it had the words here, but it didn't have the words. And this, are, this is uh, the words to the song that he wrote as a basis to him being disowned by his family and being poisoned. Listen to what he wrote here. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back, no turning back. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. Do you see how serious this man took the teachings of Jesus? He joined the church of Jesus Christ. And you're going to learn in just a moment that a church is not a building. A church is a group of people following the teachings of Jesus. He was denounced by his earthly father, but was accepted by his heavenly father. He was poisoned by his brother, his earthly brother, but his spiritual brothers took him in and served the lepers with him. Amen? And so today as we learn about the church, we're talking about the body of Christ. We're talking about the bride of Christ. And we're talking about Jesus's, Jesus's mother, brothers, and sisters. Is this not powerful? So oftentimes people criticize the church, and we ought to be very careful. And I'll start with those who I even hear criticize the church. I have met pastors, pastors that have said after services, looked me in the eyes and said, I didn't like that church. I don't like those people. They didn't give me enough. I remember sitting down with a, a man that came and preached in our church, and I said, here is the offering. And he said, why is it so low? And I said, it's in the recession. This is all they could give. He said, you should teach them to give more. I said, that's the last time you're coming. I have sat down with pastors, and they literally looked at me in the eyes, and they said, I hate my church. Why are you there? I asked him in seminary, why are you there then? He said, because I'm going to go to a bigger church after this. My denomination made me come here, and I have to go through this church to get to the bigger church. 
I have sat down with Christian leaders, and they have literally said this to me. It would be awesome to be in ministry. Ministry is exciting and fun. Everything about ministry would be awesome and great except for the people. I have heard other pastors literally look at me and say, I love the church because she's like my mother, but she acts like a whore, and I'm ashamed of her. If you look up that statement right now, the church is my mother, but she's also a whore, you'll see that it's a theological statement of some denominations that they began to look so much at the church as a whore because of what they thought was wrong in the church. And I want you to understand, people can do stupid stuff in the church. There can be lying. There can be perversion. There can be hypocrisy. But listen, that never affects the body of Christ. That never affects the bride of Christ. The Bible says the bride of Christ is blameless and spotless. The body of Christ is pure and holy. So as you could say, there's probably a remnant inside of what we would call most churches. That's the real church. And so my friends today, I want you to be very careful when you talk about the church. When you talk about even a former church that you went to, it's okay to say, you know, Pastor, I, I like this church better or this church has done something nice for me. But if you talk bad about that church, especially if they're good Christian people, you are stepping on the toes of Jesus. You are slapping the face of Jesus. You are disrespecting the bride of Jesus. You are putting down Jesus' mother, his brother, and his sisters. Long before I was ever a pastor, I was a servant only in the church. Now I'm a servant leader, but I was just a servant, just like many of you here today. And I've learned the respect of the church. And we need to all respect it the way Jesus does. Can I get an amen? We can expose sin. Jesus exposed sin. Jesus dealt with sin. Not every place that calls itself a church is a church. There are some pastors that should be arrested, some pastors that should be forsaken. You are absolutely right. But what we don't do is attack the body of Christ. We do not attack those who are truly living for Jesus. The Bible says that by the same, judge not lest you be judged. For the same measure you judge others by, you yourselves will be judged by. If you have never pastored, if you have never been in leadership, if you have never put on your work boots and put on the gloves and got your hands dirty in church, you have no right to discourage and to to put down those who have. Even if you think you can do it better, listen to me. I only want to hear from those who are actually in the fight, not on the sidelines. I love that the church can do better, be better, and all of these things. But I will not take that advice from sassy saints, from bitter people. I'm going to listen to those who are actually in the arena with their, with their hands stained with dirt because they're out there working for Jesus. That's the way Jesus talked about his church. We should all respect it. The only thing that Jesus said he would personally build was his church. Did you know that? He didn't promise to build a country. He didn't promise to build your business. He didn't promise anything. He said the greatest thing he would ever do and build upon this earth would be the church, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Now, in this passage right here of Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, you hear the foundational passage of the Roman Catholics, and this is now where I'll address the Roman Catholics. They want us to love the church, but the problem is it's not the right church. They want us to love the Roman Catholic Church, the organization that's built around a pope and the saints in Rome. They'll go to this scripture of Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and it will say that upon you, Peter, I will build my church. And then they'll say, see, it's upon Peter that you build the church. And if you don't have the lineage of Peter as the popes in your church, you don't have a real church. You're in a rebellious church against Rome. It says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. 
The problem that they have with this is you see where it says Peter? He says, you are Peter. That word there is Petros. O-S in the Greek is just like in Spanish. An O-S noun signifies what gender, male or female? Male. In Spanish, O-S signifies what? O-S. Don't you guys have O-S in Spanish? No? I thought you guys had O-S. What is a masculine uh, uh, noun in Spanish? Give me some. L. Okay, sorry. I'm confused with Greek and Spanish. Trying to think. I thought thought you guys had O-S, but I guess you don't. Isn't A-S feminine? Lost. There we go. There we go. Los and lost. Thank you for helping the gringo and not letting him be embarrassed today. If I'm going to say los, that signifies what? Male. If I say las, that signifies what? Okay, exactly the same in Greek. OS signifies what? Male. And AS is going to signify what? Female. And the same thing, if something ends in an O in Greek, it's going to be male. And if something ends in an A, it's going to be female. He says, you are Petros. Tros, the O-S. This is a masculine. Do you all see it here? A masculine noun. Once I did that, it changed. But you see where it says right up here, masculine? He says, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. He does not use the same word for rock that he called Peter. He called Peter Petros, and then he said, upon this rock, Petra, I will build my rock. Does everybody uh, build my church? Does everybody see Petra is what kind of a noun? Feminine. What kind of a noun is Peter? Masculine. This is what he said. I tell you the truth, you are Peter, Petros, I am changing your name to mean the masculine rock. And then upon this feminine rock, different from you, Peter, I will build my church. What does that Petra mean? It is the confession that Peter had. Peter, uh, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So Peter got his name changed, and then he was told, on this rock, Peter, on the Petra, on the confession of faith, I will build my church. That's the first problem we have with Roman Catholics. They want to say that Peter is the rock. Then I have to ask them, was, P- was Peter bicurious or was Peter gender confused? Because he's called Petros, a masculine noun, then Petra, a feminine noun. He can't be both. You can't be male and female at the same time. Do you understand? This is Jesus' way of simply differentiating them. He says, you are Peter, and upon this confession of your faith, I will build my church. Upon this rock. Now, the reason why I put these other two scriptures here, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, is because don't take my word for it. Take it from Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, he speaks to the disciples, and he says, As you come to him, the living stone, Jesus is the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. Do you understand? Peter then said, all of us are living stones. All of us are the Petra of God. And then, to let you know one more time in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, Peter does not call himself a pope. You will never see the word pope found anywhere in the Bible. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, Peter is not the leader of the New Testament church. It's Jesus' half-brother James. Do you remember that time when Mary came to Jesus with his brothers? Mary was not a perpetual version. She had other children with Joseph. That one, Two of them was James and Jude. The one, James, became the leader 
Peter of the New Testament church. Peter submits to him, and you can learn about how James makes the final decisions. Now here, Peter tells you exactly who he is. To the elders among you, I appeal as a pope above you. Is that what it says? To the elders among you, I appear to you as the Holy Father, and you must kiss my ring, and I'll dress up like mother, and you'll call me father, and I'll put on a funny dress and a funny hat, and I'll tell all of my little priests to talk to you in dark closets. Now, some of you might be like, you're disrespecting the church. This has nothing to do with the church, no more than Bozo the Clown has anything to do with the church. Do you understand? Show me one time where they had confessional booths in this Bible, and I'll believe it. Show me one time when people fed each other the communion, and I'll do it. I'll feed it to you if you want me to. Show me one time they baptized children, and I'll do it. Show me one time they prayed to someone other than God the Father through Jesus, and I'll do it. Show me one time Mary was ever prayed to. You understand? Show me one doctrine of purgatory. Show me anything that Roman Catholicism calls the church, and I'll do it. But until then, let's do what they did, right? He says, I appeal to you as a what? fellow elder. Was Peter a pope? No, you don't even find such a position in the church. He's an elder appealing to fellow elders, fellow elders, fellow elders. Do you think the pope looks like a fellow elder to the people? Absolutely not. Is he treated as a fellow elder? One time they fell on their knees and tried to kiss Peter. Peter said, get up, I'm a man just like you. Is that what this pope says? When people fall down to kiss him, does he say, get up, I'm just a man like you? Or does he let them kiss him and do all those weird things to him? Now, do we love Roman Catholics? Let's be honest, how many of us have Roman Catholic family and friends that we really, really love? Uncles, cousins, all of, all of us have this in our life. But what we need to understand is that Jesus said he would build his church upon the revelation, upon the very thing that we just talked about. This is what Jesus is building his church on. Those who are born again, who believe he is God and Savior and are following his commands. That's who he's building the church on. That is the rock. Those are the living stones. Can I get an amen for that? That's the truth, and I gave you those resources there. Now, look at your neighbor and say, it's just the introduction. i got to finish the second paragraph of the introduction. The Bible declares that Jesus is the cornerstone and the foundation of the church. That is why the author of Hebrews says we should never forsake the church and always gather together as often as we can. Go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 shows us how important attending church is. Now go up there to verse 24. And let us consider how we may what? Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I told you not to forget sex. Here's another thing I don't want you to forget. Don't forget the video and this word spur. Don't forget the video and this word spur. And sex is coming up in just a minute. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love. See, the church is there to spur. Spur you on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing empty chairs, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So what are we to do? Keep showing up. Keep learning about God. Keep being in each other's company and in the presence of the Lord. Now watch this. We're doing this until the day comes where the kingdom of God comes on earth as it is in heaven. But what is the taste of heaven right now? The day is when it's officially done, but the Lord's day is when we taste it. Think about this. Why do we have church on Sunday, but the Jews did on Saturday? We have it on Sunday because Sunday is the day Jesus raised from the dead. It is the Lord's day. We remember the Lord on Sunday because this is the day he raised from the dead. What do we do when we get together? We sing songs to him. We worship him. We learn about him. We spur each other on to love and good deeds. What do you think they're doing in heaven right now? Loving, doing good things, worshiping Jesus. This is literally heaven on earth. 
according to Jesus. You may doubt it or not believe it. That's up to you. But according to Jesus, this is heaven on earth. When you come to the church, and I'm not talking about this brick building because you could lose the brick building and we could meet out in a field and still have church. Have you ever seen the way they have church right now in China? China has one of the fastest growing churches in the world. Have you ever seen the underground church of China? The underground church in China right now probably has 100 million members. Underground church of China, they meet in barns and they meet in fields. And God is with them. God is among them. This is raw footage. It is illegal to be a part of a church other than a state church in China. I wear this bracelet to remind me of the persecution that Christians suffer around the world. I always say to you, if you want one of these bracelets, I'll give it to you for free. This is what the church looks like in a place like China. So I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about people who love Jesus and are willing to make him known. This is probably an abandoned warehouse. They meet together when everybody else is asleep. They pray. They worship. They touch heaven and change earth. This is heaven on earth. The church literally is heaven on earth. Some of us here have gotten so uh, consumerized in church that we forget what it is. Some of us are so distracted by our technology, by our jobs, by our vacations, that we forget what church should really be. For them, Church is the place where they gather. This is inside of a barn. Church is the only place they can worship and praise God really openly with their brother and sister. This is where they can express themselves. This is in an open field, in an open field. And they never let you know who the pastors are because once the government finds out who they are, they arrest them. But many of them are these women. You would not know who they are. This is underground footage. But these women will organize these meetings. Some of these women have upwards of 100,000 followers in their church. And they organize themselves through their secret connections, through the internet, or through the, the, the letters they send each other. We used to have a couple in our church that was a part of the underground church in China. Had been arrested and put in jail in China, part of our church, part of our church. This is what it looks like, the underground church in China. Can I get an amen? amen? You see, my friends, the church is the body of Christ. We need to take it serious as they do. I don't want to get to heaven and meet somebody from the underground church in China, and they go, what was it like when you went to church? And, and I'll be like, well, uh, we kind of sang a couple of songs. We had to be done fast because people would get hungry and bored. And we always had to have plays and these things to entertain us. And then she'd be like, what? That's what you guys call church? When I was in China, church would last all day. Miracles would happen. We would sing songs until the cloud of God's glory would enter the room. And even sometimes our parents would get arrested. But we never stopped meeting. And that's how I got here. Is they arrested me. They martyred me. And that's why I'm here today. You know? I don't want to be in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb sitting next to the underground church of China and be ashamed. I want to be able to sit next to that girl and go, look, they may not have killed me, but I kept preaching. I kept teaching. I love church. I love being around church. That same boom shakalaka that you guys felt in Beijing, we felt in Chicago. We ran hard after Jesus. High five. And I want to be able to look her in the eyes and say, I prayed for you. 
I prayed for the church of China. I prayed for the church of Korea. I prayed for the church of the Middle East, Iraq, and Afghanistan, and the church of Southeast Asia, and Indonesia, and Pakistan, because the church is one big body of Christ. Amen? We are our brothers and sisters keepers. The Bible says that my house, Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for the nations. This is where we pray. This is where we build the organization of God. Some of you want God to care about your business, but you don't care about his business. You need to build the business of God so he'll take care of your business. Put God's kingdom first. Amen? How many are ready for the message? What was the first thing I told you to remember? Sex, right? I told you to remember sex. This is going to blow your mind. I'm going to give you right now seven powerful stats about church attendance that most of you have probably never heard, and the last one has to do with sex, and I'm sure it's going to blow your mind. Those who attend church have a 33% longer life. Is that just because somebody in a pastor, a little Christian church has made it up? Let me tell you where the article is. I got the resources there, CNN. CNN. You can look it up. The studies have been done. Those who attend church regularly, once or more a week regularly, live 33% longer lives. They did the survey with nurses. They tracked out nurses and they did their health study. And the nurses who went to church regularly, not just clubs, they wanted to make sure it wasn't the same kind of effect if you attended a club or a gathering together or just, you know, something like that. Those things did not have the same effect. The Rotary Club, the, the Knitting Club, it was those who went to church regularly outlived those who didn't. They have a lower divorce rate by 20%. Many of you hear that we have the same divorce rate in the church. That is not true. They are interviewing people of all kinds of churches, the Roman Catholic Church. When you get to Protestant Bible-believing churches like I am doing, like we are pastoring, we're doing right here, 20% less divorces. One pastor of a church like this, they've tracked with him. He was a pastor for about 30 years. He married about 150 people. He had only, and he kept in touch with every single one of them, only seen about three divorces. Three divorces. Less mental problems. They, they tracked with these people to find out why these people had less depression, less anxiety. Church attendance was a significant factor, 22% lower. Commit less crimes and do less drugs. I had to change that for the second service. Those who go to church do not do more drugs. They do less drugs. Amen. They do better in school. They do better in school. They smoke and drink less. And this one will blow your mind. Have better sex lives. Some of you won't believe this until I show you the resource. Until I show you the resource right here. The resource right here, this is what it says, Better Sex Life. Chicago University, Chicago University, a study said the most, watch here, a recent Chicago study known as the most comprehensive and methodologically sound sex survey ever conducted found dramatically higher rates of the big O in women. Does everybody know what the big O is? Okay, we'll just move on from there. So this is talking about women who are satisfied sexually because you know it's easy for a man to get satisfied sexually, right? That's why men can rape and most of the time still be satisfied, right? It's disgusting, but that's why. The woman is not going to experience an orgasm during that time of rape, right? The big O in women who attended church services religiously. This was echoed by a 1940 study and a 1970 study, okay? Here's where it is. Among women who attend religious service regularly had higher levels of sexual satisfaction, 
Now you would say, Pastor, I don't understand how that's related to church. Well, let's just be honest. How does sex relate to a woman? Does it start in the bedroom? No, it starts in the kitchen, doesn't it? A woman is not going to have a sexual uh, pleasure just because a man does a sexual thing. A man who meets the emotional needs of his woman, of the woman in his life, will satisfy her in bed. And that woman will open up emotionally and experience that kind of orgasm. And so that sounds crazy. I know why are we talking about it, but it's about time we do. Instead of letting Kim Kardashian and this world, the Real Housewives of Jersey Shore on their way to hell, tell us how to live. This is how you live. You come to church regularly. You learn to find your identity in Christ. Your husband learns to take care of your needs. And what happens in the bedroom is better than anything you see on TV, better than all the shades of gray, because that does not necessarily make the woman satisfied. It is like the Bible says, it is the becoming of one that brings the satisfaction. All that from attending church. How many want to keep attending church? Amen. Live longer lives, lower divorce rate, less mental problems, commit less crimes and do less drugs, do better in school, smoke and drink less, have better sex lives. That's amazing. That's what the world says about us. And so we need to show them how important the church is, not put down the church. Here's what Paul said in 1 Timothy 3.15. Somebody say, preach it. Here's the message in closing right now. i got to get to the message now, okay? 1 Timothy 3.15, if I am delayed, Paul says, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. What is God's house? The church. Whose house is this? God's house. And God's house is church. Do you all see how important that is? And what is the church to this culture? The pillar and foundation of truth. We are the pillar and foundation of truth. We are what makes America great. There was once a French sociologist that came around the time of Abraham Lincoln that wanted to know why the American entrepreneur spirit was so uh, big in this country, why uh, there was so much freedom in this country. And by the way, we have a God in Politics talk in November, the first Sunday of November. It's already on Facebook. God in Politics, you want to be here. It's going to be a lot of fun. And what I mean by fun is I mean controversial, okay? But anyways, it's going to be awesome. But here's the deal. The French sociologists came to want to study what the difference was out of all of the European revolutions and out of the things they had tried, what made America different. Uh, they had said, hands down, it is their participation in church. It is their participation in church. In church, you learn how to learn. You learn how to learn. You learn how to treat people. You learn how to be a father. Where am I going to learn to be a father? Where am I going to learn to be a dad? Where am I going to learn to be a husband? You learn it in church. Where are your children going to learn their morals? You can't just tell them one time at home. You have to reinforce it. Where does the reinforcement come from? Where do we get our goals from? Where do we set our goals at? All of the universities that were started in America were started by Christians. Now listen, don't get it twisted so often they want to teach you the wrong history of America now. They want to talk about Christopher Columbus and the conquistadors. That is not true. That is Central and South America. You know that. Think about it, guys. That's where they came and conquered the Spanish, came and conquered the Aztecs, the Incas, all of them. Who came actually to America? The pilgrims. Why were the pilgrims coming to Plymouth Rock? Why did they come? For religious freedom. Where were they running from? Church governments, Church of England, running from them. We want our freedom. Where were they running from? Roman Catholic governments, running from them. Are you listening? We were coming for religious liberty. 
We were coming to start our own country, our own schools of learning, our own political systems, our own economy, and these were the foundations. Now, some of you say, what about the way we treated Native Americans, and what about the way we treated African Americans? Not everybody did what they were supposed to, but why is it America became the home of the free and the land of the, land of the brave, the home of the free? It's because we, we actually lived out what we believed, and we gave our lives for it. 300,000 Americans died to set the slaves free. 300,000. Do you understand that? More people died here to set slaves free than any other place. Do you know in Africa they still have slaves? Did you know that? In Africa they still have slaves. In, 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 in certain tribes in, in Southeast Asia, they still have slaves. Why is it here we don't have slaves? Slavery was popular everywhere. The divide and conquer was popular everywhere. If you, if you say, well, we took the land from the Indians, what do you think, how do you think they got it? They fought and killed for the land. That was always a part of the world, but it was the American system that began to treat everybody right. Everyone has the ability to have life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness and those rights. And when Martin Luther King Jr. came around, you know what he said? He said, I am coming on the promissory note of the Declaration of Independence in the Constitution because he knew that the principles were already there. He just had to have it enforced. We'll talk more about that with God and politics, but it was the church that made us dramatically different. The church, a Protestant church, not a Roman Catholic church. Many, many, many things have come through the corruption of the Roman Catholics. Where did Roman Catholic church come from? It came around 6-700 A.D., many hundreds of years after the early church. If you look at the, the church of Paul, what did they have? They had leaders. They had people. They went into people's homes and buildings. That was it. They didn't have popes. They didn't have any of these things, the smells and the bells, the cathedrals. All of that stuff came hundreds and hundreds of years later. I have a book called The Disciples of the First Disciples, if you want to see a timeline just look it up disciples of the first no disciples of disciples everybody say disciples of disciples if you go to the disciples of disciples here you see this online book that I have and if you go here to the timeline of the Roman Catholic Church I can show you right here chapter 12 in chapter 12 these are when the things happen the Roman Catholic Church appointed its first pope in 570 AD 590 A.D. it became official. 596 they began to impose their beliefs on others. 622 is the beginning of Islam. That's why they began to fight with each other. Islam and Roman Catholicism are, 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 are birds of the same feather. They're both false ideas of what God tells us to do. And that's why they were fighting each other. True Christians did. And let me just tell you this, by the way, real quick. Do you want to know why you have a Bible in your language? The Roman Catholics had it in Latin for a thousand years. No one even spoke Latin anymore except for the priests. Our guys, William Tim and the rest of our leaders translated it into the modern-day English and German, the language. Do you know what they did to them? Burned them. The Roman Catholic priests burned them. Just like how they tortured your boy in Braveheart and all, they tortured Christians. The Inquisitions, the Spanish Inquisition, Roman Catholics torturing Jewish people, torturing Muslims, and torturing Christians. And Muslims did the same things to us, by the way. I actually believe, uh, blame all of the Crusades on the Muslims because it was their advancement that got to be crazy and they began to fight, but they were both wrong. But it was the Muslim advancement that created it all. Okay? And then you begin to see all these things that, that started in their religion. Where do these ideas come from? Some of you don't even know where, like... Um, Say, praying to saints came from. Look at this. 375, they started praying to dead saints. 395 is when they instituted the first mass. 431 is when they started worshiping the, Mary, uh, the uh, Virgin Mary. 500 is when the priests began to dress differently. Jesus dressed just like you. Peter dressed just like you. Do you understand? I dress just like you. Do you want to dress up in a robe with a funny hat today? 
I don't want to dress up in a robe with a funny hat. I have just as much education of them, but thank God I can have a wife, amen? But other than that, I am just as educated as them. But here's the deal. I don't dress differently. All of these traditions came throughout history. The doctrine of purgatory, never taught until 593. Does everybody see that? Kissing of the Pope's feet, 610. Look it up. Disciples of disciples. Can I get an amen for that? Blowing your mind. That's why you got to come to church, amen? That's where you learn this stuff. We're the pillar and the foundation of what? Truth. Check my truth by the word of God. What is the definition of church? In the Greek, it's ekklesia. It literally means called out ones who gather together. That's all that it means. Called out ones that gather together. It's you're out of the world into Christ. You're out of sin into being a saint. You are who God said you are. Here we are. We're the church. Are you the church? We're gathered together in his name. Here's how you can recognize um, a false, uh, let me get to that in just a second. Here's two expressions of the church. One is universal, one is local. The universal church is everybody like us around the world. There's 7 billion people in the world, and there's probably about 2 billion Christians like us. We all can't meet together, so we come into local churches, local expressions. Paul had a lot of these local churches, but then he said, together we make the body of Christ. Together we make the bride of Christ. Amen? Now, here's how you know a real church. Here's how it is. You can look through the Bible. The Bible tells you what a church looks like. It has to have sound doctrine. Those things that we confess at the beginning, that's basically what all good churches believe. You know, Armitage Baptist, New Life Covenant, Chicago Tabernacle, Belmont Assembly, of God, this Baptist church, free will Baptist right here, all of these good churches are going to have basically the same doctrines, the Trinity, Jesus is Lord, the Bible, heaven and hell, salvation by faith alone. Then there's going to be biblical offices. We'll talk about that in a minute. Baptism and communion. We do ours the first of the month and regularly with baptisms. Church discipline. You can't let crazy remain crazy because then it's not a real good church anymore. I say leave those crazy churches and let's not put them down. But if you're in a church where they can sin and do whatever they want and it be crazy, people steal money, don't do that. We, we practice discipline here. If I ever start looking at pornography, taking money from you, dating somebody other than my wife, I can't hold the mic anymore, okay? And biblical fruit in its disciples, okay? That's that's uh, what a true church is. Now, what are the two offices, the two positions of the church? You can look it up in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It says it clearly. Elders, deacons, that's it. No popes, nothing other than that. Elders and bishops are basically the same interchangeable word. One is episkopos and one is presbytos. They're the same thing. They're interchangeable. I can show you that later in Titus chapter 1. Bishop, elder, deacon. Okay. Now, this is where it gets a little bit confusing is there's five leadership gifts in the church. Apostles, those who start churches. Prophets, those who hear from God spiritually and speak to God's people. Evangelists, those who teach how to win souls and go out and win the souls. Pastors, and if you speak Spanish, uh, el pastor taco is a what kind of taco? What does pastor mean in Espanol? Pork. No, no. Pastor means what? It is pork, but what does pastor mean? Shepherd. Pastor is not pork. Pastor means shepherd. Now I got to teach my Latinos again. Y'all messing with me on los and las? Watch, pastor, Spanish. Let's go to Google here so you don't think I'm messing it up. Okay. El pastor. Literally, in style of the shepherd. That's what it means. Pastor is shepherd. That is the same way of the Greek. See, Greek and Spanish have a lot of similarities. If you ever study it, they have similarities. It is the shepherd's taco. And so pastor means shepherd. Not you're eating the shepherd, but the shepherd from the sheep. It is not a pork taco. It is a sheep taco. It's sheep, correct? Are we on the same page? It's not a pork taco. I wanted to correct that. It's not pork. It is derived from, yes, it's a shepherd style. Oh, it's made from pork in Mexico. 
In Mexico, let's see. Yeah, it's lamb-based. It is like a shawarma. Lebanese people went to, see, this is where it came from. Lebanese immigrants went to Mexico. So it's like a gyro, but let's see. Varieties. Okay, which one is it? Is it, is it pork or is it, is it a sheep? A non-pork version. Okay, yes, it is a pork version mixed with other sheep. Mixed with sheep. This stupid thing. I'm so distracted by this right now. That looks good. I definitely want that. I definitely want that. Okay, here it is. Pork marinated in all of these other spices. So you are correct. And you are correct. It is like the shawarma, which is lamb-based, which is lamb-based, okay? Now, what is my point with that? Listen to this really quick. Listen to this really quick. I am an elder before I am a pastor. I am an elder by my office and position. I am a pastor by the gifting and what I do. When elders shepherd, they pastor. When elders teach, they're teachers. When elders start new churches, they're apostles. When, prof when elders are prophets, do the prophesying, they're prophets. Do you remember what Peter said? I as a fellow what? As a fellow elder. We are first elders and deacons. There are no two other offices in the church. When I give you a business card that says pastor, I do that just because in America we substituted priest for pastor out of old Roman Catholic tradition. But what it should simply say is elder. And that's why when you go to our website, when you go to the website, it truly shows that we, we do the elders and the deacons, okay? It's just elders and deacons. And what do elders and deacons do? Elders are the ones in charge. Deacons are the ones serving with them. And they have the different gifts. Okay, and so if you go here to our church website, you go to leadership, you see it right here. We use the terms elders, apostolic elder, pastoral elder, governing elder, deacons. Everybody get that? Okay, you guys are bored now. I got to get to the good video. Here, lastly, real quick, discipleship versus membership. Because it's like, how do I join your church? And what happened was sometime like in the 80s and 90s and even a little bit before then, people wanted to be cool and start doing membership, membership. Membership is never in the Bible. You'll never find it. The only time you'll even see the word member, it says you're a member of the body of Christ. But you were a member of the body of Christ the day you were born again. That doesn't talk about what we would think of as membership. Here's what Jesus did. He made disciples. It's discipleship, not membership. So today in our church, we have 143 recognized disciples. Those are the quote-unquote members of our church. So we don't shake a hand, do a certain thing, a ceremony, whatever. Here's how if you want to be a part of our church, be a disciple. If you don't want to be a part of our church, stop being a disciple. It's that simple. Does everybody get it? We'll take your names right off the roll, and you can roll out to wherever you want to go. But we have 143 disciples in this church. Now you may say, Pastor, how do I get involved in this church? Does anybody remember seeing the flyer earlier today? Here's how you get involved in this church, to help your sex life, to help your marriage, come on, to do better in school, to help your well-being, to help your family and your community. This is what you do. Connect to life groups. Join a life group. You come on Sunday, now go to a life group. Find something that works for you. We have so many here that are good, and you can find one that works for you. Then join the discipleship. 101 is done one-on-one. -on -one. Could you imagine going anywhere anywhere right now in the world and them saying to you, I will give you free tutoring, free mentorship, free training. It doesn't even exist. Go to export and ask them how long they'll train you for. We'll give you one free one, then after that, you got to sign up and we'll give you a package, 10 training sets, and it's only for $1,000. You know, that's how it is. I remember wanting to get into the real estate business. I was talking to this one guy. I said, would you train me? He said, nobody trained me, and I ain't training you because you'll be my competition. That's how the world thinks, isn't it? The church says, we do it for free. 
for free. It doesn't matter if you're a tither or not. You join the one-on-one today. That's our 101. Somebody will meet with you of the same gender. Be there for you. Love you. If your schedule's not working out with the one you have right now, start it with another one. After you do that, you'll graduate to be trained in the 201, how to teach and make disciples and be sent out to make a, a new disciple. We connect, mentor, and send. You get connected in those life groups, mentored through the discipleship, sent out through evangelism. If you have any questions, Facebook me today, and there'll be prayer workers up here. I love you guys. Now, I'm about ready to play this video. Would you cut the lights for me? Good, sir. Now, some of you might have seen this on Facebook, but this is, this is something that made me cry twice, okay? Now, you don't have to cry, but I, I hope you feel this. Because we've been talking about this whole entire sermon series about your spiritual discipline, about running the race. Worship leaders, will you come and grab a seat here in the front, please? And this video to me summarized it so well. Remember when I talked to you and I said, remember the second thing. What did I ask you to remember? Spurring. Thank you. I want you to watch this video and I want you to think about spurring, caring, and I want you to think about the church. And then I'm going to come back and preach for about another 20 minutes because I'm going to be on fire once I see this video again. You all ready for this? It's at the end of a triathlon. If you've ever run one of those, you know what it feels like. If you've ever thought about running one, you, you know what it feels like. If you've ever said to yourself, I'm never going to run one, it's because you're scared of one probably like me. You know. You know. Okay? You, we all understand this. Watch this video and see what happens here. That would be incredible if Johnny Brownlee can... He, he oh, is in trouble. Look, look at, at him. This. this is unbelievable jo Johnny drama. Brownlee, I think he might have just fallen. He is in massive trouble. Who would have thought that Johnny Brownlee, he is 400 meters from the finishing line and he does not know where he's at. Johnny Brownlee may not make the finishing line. He's looking over his shoulder. He is desperately in trouble. Just get him some fluid here. He cannot be helped. I, I don't think I've ever seen this. Let's see if Alistair stops. Johnny Brownlee is no. not going to finish this race. Alistair's come, come, come. He's got him. This I have never seen this before. Henry Schoolman is going to win this race because Alistair Brownlee has stopped for his brother. I don't even know if that is allowed. I, you know this what? is incredible. I, I don't think he cares if it's allowed uh, or not. That is the most incredible thing I have ever seen in a triathlon. Alistair Brownlee is trying to get his brother across the line. Henry Schoolman is going to win this race. That is the most ridiculous thing. You would have thought that Johnny Brownlee had it in the bag. Henry Schoolman is onto the blue carpet. The two Brownleys are coming with less than 150 meters to go. They could get caught from behind because it is not that big of a gap. Taking the flag right now. He can't even hold himself up and will take the flag. Here comes Richard Murray around the corner. This is the most ridiculous grand carpet in just a few seconds. This is absolutely insane. Here comes Richard Murray. The two Brownleys are trying desperately to get across the line. Oh my God, Johnny Bradley is second. It'll be third across the line, Alistair Brownlee, and then can Mario Mola be fourth? That is the most insane last few meters. Please show me the path pictures. Yeah, well, uh, obviously it was a, quite a good race. It was going almost perfectly, and then uh, I saw my brother wobbling in front of me the, the very obvious signs of uh, overheating, and uh, yeah, I, I knew I had to help him to the finish line, really, to obviously to serious position, but also if anyone was that in position, I would have helped him across the finish line to get medical uh, help as quickly as possible. Let's give it up for that good Samaritan right there. Worship leaders, would you come, please? I want you to think about this now in closing. Remember, we have learned this entire, and keep the lights off for me there, please. Remember, we have learned this entire sermon series. The entire sermon series has been what? 
Run your race. Don't run aimlessly. Don't just beat the air. Do you see how tired that man got? You see, some of you think running aimlessly just means you're lazy. But I want to tell you from experience, you can get exhausted in life and forget where you are. Just like that man, you can have your family on your mind, your job on your mind, your career, all of these things, and all of a sudden, you feel like you are going to pass out. You feel like you don't know where you are anymore. I have been there as a Christian. And all of a sudden, you're just beating aimlessly. You're beating the air. You don't know where you are. But you see, the church... The church comes and picks you up and carries you across that line. So often we just think, I only need Jesus. I only need Jesus. That's true. But Jesus said to you, you need the church. Jesus said to you, you need my body. You need my visible arms. When was the last time Jesus fed the hungry with his body? He doesn't, but he does it through the church, his body, every single day. When was the last time Jesus came over to somebody's house and comforted a mother like my mother who lost her daughter drinking and driving and wept with them shoulder to shoulder? No, Jesus is in heaven, but he said my body was there. He sent a pastor to be there with my mother to weep with her to pray with her. It was the church. It was the church that trained my mom how to lead me to the Lord at a kitchen table. If she would have never have been taught the Word of God, if the church wouldn't have preserved the Word of God, she wouldn't know how to pray for me. I wanted to go to a mental hospital and she was taught by her church. When you hear that from your son, when you see his life falling apart because of drugs, you pray. When I came to church with my parents, there were women that met me at the church with tears coming down their eyes, and they said, I would pray with your mother for you. I know all we need is Jesus, but Jesus said, you need the church. And so often, we just think we got this. We're so smart. We got so much money. And then all of a sudden, our marriage is falling apart. And we're running aimlessly. And we don't know where to go. We need to go to church. Where else are you going to learn how to be a husband, a wife, a father, a mother? Except from another father, another mother. That's what the Bible said to do. Train up the younger ones. Train up the young ones. Older women, train the younger women. And my friends, I want to tell you today, first and foremost, if you are here today, the church is here for you. First and foremost, If you're finding yourself struggling in life and you're saying, who will run with me? Who will run with me? The church is here to run with you. The church is here to get your back. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. When that brother grabbed his other brother, started running, he pushed him across. When I saw it the first time, he pushed him across to get him to higher place. I thought to myself, that's what Jesus did for me. That's what Jesus did for me. And then I said, oh, that's what the church does. We give up. We sacrifice for others, 
for you. I'm not going to write college tomorrow because I have nothing else to do. I'm living the middle class American dream. I could blow my money and time tomorrow on a hundred different things. The reason why I go to Wright College to deal with snotty-nosed brat young people is because I love them. I see them wandering. I see them exhausted. And the thing that this doesn't show, obviously, because it's a race, is there's a lion waiting to devour them. So I go to Wright College as the church to say, come on. I had a guy smoking pot in front of me the other day, and I kept preaching to him, and while he was getting high in front of me, he said, I never heard it like that before. Never heard it like that before. Never heard it like that before. People don't know. They don't know how much Jesus loves them. They don't know the meaning of the cross. The world is broken. The world is hurting. Many of you are that same way, and that's why you're here today. And we're here to tell you, we want to run with you. We may make mistakes. We may let you down sometimes. But one thing we will do is run with you. We will run with you. And until the angel Gabriel comes to take my place, I'll be your pastor. And until the angel Gabriel comes and takes the place of all these life group leaders, their homes are open to you. When you see these prayer workers standing up here, every week what they're saying is, I'll run with you. They're saying to the young people, I'll ride or die with you. Our youth pastor has to go to one of the gang members' house or to the, to the gang of his block and watched him get jumped out because he said he wants to serve God. And he said, but my gang won't let me out unless I probably bring a youth pastor. And I've heard of this in other cities and other places where they have the videos, and I've watched it, where the pastor says, you can do what you want, just don't hit him in the face. But here's the deal. It's done after this. It's over. That's what pastors do. That's what people who love you do. They'll go with you. I brought in 30 homeless people into my house. Why? Because I kept seeing people stumble in New Orleans. My wife and I, we did so many things before there was enough pastors here to do it all. We have 10 pastors now basically doing all what we used to do. Why? Because we don't want to see a world stumble. So first and foremost, we are here for you. Second, though, second, though, I want to talk to you as a Christian. Who are you going to grab and run with today? You see, sometimes people hear our vision week after week after week, and they say, well, I don't know if I want to do that. I just like coming to church. I like the worship. I like your preaching. Well, when are you going to get off your holy backside and do something for somebody else? Well, I'll help people another way. That's not God's way. God didn't say go volunteer there, go volunteer. No, God said, first and foremost, you be a disciple. You get in that church. You build what I'm building. You be committed. You be reliable. You be dedicated. And I will change the world through you. He didn't say I'll build uh, homeless shelters, all of these things. He didn't say I'll build community centers. You know what? He said I'll build the church. You know why? Because if we got churches, we'll have community centers. If we got good churches, we'll do all these other things. The Christian church, I could have put it up here, gives more charity than any organization and all of them combined. We are known for our love. You don't see an, an, an atheist homeless shelter. You don't see an atheist a, 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 a adoption clinic. You don't see the atheist going to Darfur by the tens and hundreds and thousands. There's probably right now 100,000 Christian missionaries spread out across the world. 
We're supporting some all over the world. We're supporting people in Africa and in the orphanage. And we're supporting plane pilots who drop off Bibles in the Congo. So what are you going to do? Look at this in closing. Look what Revelation chapter 22 verse 17 says. Look at what it says here. This is Jesus talking. He says, the spirit and the bride say come. Everybody say come. And let the one who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. The spirit and the who say come. What voice does the spirit speak through? The who? The bride. You ever hear the Holy Spirit talking just out, out here in the middle of nowhere? Just like a ghost? Here I am. I'm the Holy Spirit ghost. I'm Casper the Holy Spirit ghost. The Holy Spirit can speak to believers, and the Holy Spirit could even convict an unbeliever. But the clarity of the Holy Spirit's message comes through the church, through the bride. And if you stripped away everything that I'm doing tomorrow and all that we do in this church, if you stripped it all away, what do you see happening? The church saying, come, come. Are you thirsty on the west side? Come on, come on, children. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Come, come on. How many high school clubs do we have right now? About three. Come on, Shores High School. They did, they did the see you at the pole. There was about five schools they went to. And what were they saying to the high schools? Come. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? What is the marriage life group saying? Come. Come. Come, marriages. Are you thirsty? Come. What's the single mom's life group saying? Single moms, are you thirsty? Do you feel alone? Do you feel like there's no one running with you? Right now, we are helping a single mom. Thank God she didn't abort her baby because she fit every single characteristic of someone who aborts a child. No support, no family, underprivileged, undereducated, but she's keeping her baby. We said, what do you need? What do you need? You will get it all. The crib, the, the, the stroller, the food, the diapers, the clothes, everything. You got it. Why? Because we have a single mother's ministry that keeps track of these things. It says, come, come. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Young adult, you thirsty? Go to the Friday Bible study. You know why we stopped doing the singles? We used to just have one for singles too. We stopped doing it because they were so busy. So now we just say, go to the Friday Bible study. You're a single, you want something to do? Go to a Friday Bible study. Come. Come, give up your Friday nights for Jesus. When I first got saved, I was driving high school. Uh, you know, I was a high school dropout. I was doing drugs, and, and I would get high at night after I got done delivering pizzas. And I remember I had nowhere to go on a Friday night, nowhere to go. And you know what they did? They had an all-night prayer meeting Friday nights at my church. And you know what they were saying to me as a young kid off of drugs? They were saying, come, come. Come here on a Friday night. Come here on a Friday night. And then I met other people from the church. I met my friend Donald from the church. Are you listening? We had 65 people here Tuesday praying for the prayer encounter night once a month. Why? Because they're saying, come. You want more of Jesus? You want more worship? You don't think it's enough? Come. So what are you doing? Number one, if you need the help of the church, we are here. And number two, we are saying this is not a cruise ship. It is a battleship.
There's a hospital here to heal you and repair you, but it isn't to send you back onto Gilligan's Island or on the love boat. It is to heal you and restore you so we can put a weapon in your hand and make you a terror to the devil and a help to your brother or sister so that you can go out there and with the voice of the Spirit, tell a thirsty world, come, get the free gift of living water. Can you stand to your feet and give Jesus a hand clap for the church today? Come on, not just this building. It's bigger than this building. Let's give Jesus a hand clap for the church the church of ages that's that survived for 2,000 years come on clap like you mean it praise God praise God praise God for the church oh the people that went before us oh that preserved the Bible that started churches all across this world thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you God for your beautiful bride. Hallelujah. Would you surrender now to the Lord with hands raised? Altar workers, would you come quickly? I know we're going a little late today on this communion Sunday. Thank you for your patience. But with hands raised, if you don't know Jesus and you want to join the church, you want to be a part of the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, a brother or sister or mother to Jesus, then come on. Raise up your hands and pray a prayer of repentance and a prayer of declaration of faith. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for doing it my way, but I declare you're the Lord of my life. Oh, I believe. I believe you died and rose again for me. I believe you can change me, Jesus. I want to live.